welcome to The Interesting Podcast, episode number 67. This episode is Robin Guyver, who is delightful. He also further proves my theory that the uh, creature department at Pinewood Studios are made of the best, most talented people ever. And uh, you know what? Robin is no exception. He was so great. Uh, we had a really good time talking. He is an incredible actor. Um, everything that I've seen from his reel to his work to his puppetry to everything that we talked about, just top, top, top notch and a great dude. So fun to talk to. Uh, we talk about his uh, his growing up in theater and how he learned puppetry and stuff like that and then got into movies. His first movie being Gravity with Sandra Bullock, which is nuts. So he's got some great behind the scenes with that. We talk about uh, his work on Fantastic Beasts, which was amazing. Obviously, we cover Star Wars. He was the Hapabore. He actually was the piece of the Hapabore that knocked over John Boyega as Finn. He was also the puppeteer behind the head of the Thala Siren. So in kind of a weird way, I feel like I've completed a set, having had Tom and Derek on, who were inside the Thala Siren, and now uh, Robin, who was the head. And he has a hilarious story about that. And he's got so many great stories, guys. You, you, have, you have no idea. He talks about working on life. He talks about uh, the process. He talks about everything, and he's so great. And this was so fun, and you're really going to love it. More creature peeps, guys. More creature peeps. Hashtag PFX. Puppet FX crew. Um, yeah, so you know what? I'm going to stop talking. Please enjoy the interesting podcast, episode number 67, with Robin Guyver. Theme song time. Like I said, I'm just glad when actors are working, you know, so it's like anytime I can work around you, if you're willing to give me the time, I'm willing to work with you for whatever's more convenient, you know? Sure, we'll appreciate it. Thank you. Because you're an actor yourself, right? I try my best. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So what, what's going on for you right now? Uh, so far, this podcast. I, uh, I just oh, wrapped a couple cool. short films recently. Uh, so those have been cool. Those have been cool. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, you're in you're in London. That's correct. Yes. Right on. Are you from there? Uh, I am, yes. I was uh, born here, raised here. Um, my wife is from Dallas, Texas. We met over here, though. So, hey. um, uh, yeah, we've got it. There's an American connection. <laughs> right on. I've been to Dallas. It's huge. Oh, fantastic. Not yep, as big yep, as London. <laughs> yep. I, I, prob I probably wouldn't have been there if my if my wife and I hadn't met, but um, uh, but I have, and I've got family there, and I love it. Right on, right on. Yeah, I, uh, I was just talking to someone about this recently that, like, uh, I was in London uh, two years ago. And uh, mm. my silly American mind was like, you know, they say it's big, but like America is pretty big, you know. And then I get there and I'm mm. like, oh, no, it's it's much bigger. It's way bigger than <laughs> I expected. It's a massive yeah. city. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I was unprepared. I was unprepared for just the mm -hmm. sheer size of it. Anything in the, with the American cities for me is like where, where you've got to drive, where you can't walk is, um, yeah, it's very alien to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mm. I can't imagine driving in London. It's uh your streets are just it, I somebody once told me that uh the roadmap of London just looks like a cracked windshield, and I was like yeah fair <laughs> fair. I mean granted uh, the had... secret to travel in London yeah oh sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're fine. the secret to travel in London I just 
covered is is that um uh cars um take forever but if you go on a bicycle you get there within half an hour oh smart yeah. smart so, assuming so, you know where you're going <laughs> well yes yes that does make a big difference whereas yeah. i'd be to to cycle in dallas or, or pretty much any other american city would uh would scare me very much so fair yeah. fair yeah it's mm. massive and but then you guys have the underground which is pretty incredible uh yeah it's good um i said it gets so busy i don't know if you've ever been on it uh, um, i have especially during what we call rush hour but man it's um it's quick yeah it's mm-hmm. people are it's in quick and out. but it, yeah but it's it gets very packed yeah yeah for sure for sure i have this like video on my phone from when we went to i mean you have to see buckingham palace when you visit and uh so we did that and the hyde park exit to the underground I just took uh-huh. like 10 seconds of video and there's just <laughs> hundreds of people going in and out. And I'm like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. They're like the kind of the, the arteries and veins of city. Yeah, that's exactly right. Craziness. Mm. But when, so I actually have seen the, um, uh, what was it called? The dear brother video that you did. Oh, wow. Oh, fantastic. So that's great. Thanks for making me cry. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. You know, you know, of all, of all the things I've done, um, I, that, that that little kind of short 90 second um spec commercial has had the most kind of people reaching out to me people I've, you know i've never met before from all from all over the world saying wow that really really moved me and yeah um oh, yeah. yeah i'm, I'm very honored uh, but, uh, i mean the guys behind it daniel and dorian the directors who kind of wrote it and shot it and you've go, gone on to more kind of exciting things now in their professional careers really were the masterminds behind it and so i always try and kind of pick them up as much as possible but it was a, it was a pleasure to be part of it it's beautiful i think also because i have a brother it hit home and i was like well mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't know i was gonna cry today but hmm, here we uh-huh. are <laughs> yeah. i mean they, they've constructed it so beautifully as well you know it's um, yeah it's a really kind of wonderful moving piece and we shot that in two days you know we were up in really? the um, in in the highlands you know, kind of drove up uh, uh matt and i who 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 plays the um my brother in it um mm-hmm. we we'd never met before we flew um and met in glasgow airport he, and then matt drove us up past loch ness up to uh, uh up to the isle of sky and um up there it's it, i mean it, it is as beautiful as it looks it really is it's a fantastic part of the world um and amazingly it didn't rain on us very much and wow. in two days we kind of we shot in about kind of six or seven locations um and and the guys scouted that they did their location scouting on google maps using the satellite view no way uh, because they because they, they couldn't get over it for enough time in advance so they scouted most of the locations using um using google satellite view and then kind of actually went there in one day zipped around the morning person going yeah that's going to work this is going to work and they shot a couple of the wide shots with with the crew in costume um because they didn't have us for enough time mm-hmm. um and and then we spent two days kind of running around like mad in 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 the cars getting all that footage Wow, that is amazing to cobble that together in two days. Oh, they're incredibly resourceful pair, and their producers as well, and their camera team, uh, their cameraman Yan as well. They're all fantastic. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a real kind of dream team to work with. Sure, I mean it shows mm-hmm. when you get the right mm-hmm. people making the right thing, magic happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so big up Daniel and Doran. We'll have a look at their other stuff, their other commercials they've made. They're they're really gonna be kind of people to watch for the next kind of five ten years. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you start acting then? Uh, oh wow, um, uh, that's uh, that's a great question. When did I start acting? I guess um, I I did school plays and drama clubs for years and years and years when I was a kid. And I think I, I was something that really had a big impact on me was I was um, in a youth theatre. You guys have youth theatres in America? Yeah, yeah, we do. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, as, as a young person, kind of after-school club type thing. Um, the youth theatre I was at was based at uh, uh, the National Theatre in London, which is this big kind of theatre which is uh, mainly supported by the state. Um, it gets a lot of government funding, which allows them to make kind of quite risky projects, interesting plays, a lot of community work, so, sure. so work with young people. Um, and one of the big projects they do is something called Connections, where they get a bunch of professional playwrights, I think 10 professional playwrights, they each write a play aimed at young people. Those plays get sent out to different schools over the country and school groups uh, put them on. They send wow. out judges, pe- people watch them, um, and they bring the, the kind of the, the best ones um, to the actual National Theatre, the professional stage, so those young people get to perform on a professional stage. It's an amazing, amazing event. Um, and it's not what I did. I turned <laughs> up there. Um, uh, I, I lived. I lived in London, and I I came onto youth theatre, which they used as kind of guinea pig young people. So the writers could kind of write their write their plays. Sure. And being aged anywhere from you know twenty to sixty to seventy, um, we were a group of young people. Who could say, would you say this? We'd be like, oh no way, man. <laughs> um, or, or like, would you guys do this? Or is that funny? Is that not funny? But they kind of bounce ideas of us, and 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 we we'd kind of be authentic young people and say yes, no, and um, and and uh, stuff like that. We got a chance to work with kind of amazing playwrights like Philip Ridley, uh, Mark Ravenhill. Um, I, I don't know if these names will mean anything to anyone, uh, <laughs> but but um, in retrospect, looking back, I had no idea how lucky I was. And it was, um, yeah, it was a really kind of incredible experience. Sure, sure. That's great. So mm-hmm. it was something you, like yeah. really early on you're just really into. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and then, then kind of was keen to kind of uh, uh, go into acting and perform, going into the world of kind of, th- and it's very much theatre for me when I was younger, and, and um, growing up, going to the theatre, my parents and stuff, um, and um, and so I kind of went off and did a drama degree that turned out to be very academic and and with way too much writing, um, <laughs> and I kind of rebelled a bit against that, and um, uh, kind of started watching and and reading and studying a lot about the world of circus and and movement and physical performance and and was exposed to kind of some amazing theatre artists like Simon Burney who started a company called Complicite um, and then people like that and got very hooked on this idea of actors who create their own work and theatre companies who who rather than creating the work of just a writer they they work as an ensemble and make work as a team and that that's kind of really changed my my world really looking at rather than working for someone else being dependent on someone else saying hey come along and be in my project um but looking for groups to work with when i was at university and then and then for the rest of my life since then really to go let's make something together let's be the authors of our work and and create things and, sure um, yeah and so um yeah and went, went into started in the world of theater doing a, a very kind of physical training in a in a kind of quite clowning movement-based uh, art form use a lot of masks a lot of puppetry um where which is traditionally i guess we call poor theater mm-hmm. and and this poor theater is where you've got nothing and you try and make everything you've got a small space and you make the audience see feel like they're somewhere huge oh. and vast and epic you know it draws in all the kind of traditional storytelling techniques um, um and and tries to kind of tell big stories with very little resources um and yeah that's that was my road into uh to the world of performance. Wow, that's genius. So I like to hear about yeah. people who like have taken any sort of acting class because different techniques you pick up. Like I talked mm-hmm. to one person and I asked them, I was like, you know, what's something that you've learned over your acting career, over your courses that you've, t- that you've learned? What do you take mm-hmm. from it? And they're like, well, mm-hmm. I always learn never judge yourself. 
because while you're doing <laughs> it, you're you're in your head and you're not the character, and the character wouldn't judge themselves for what they're doing. I was like, wow. And the idea that you're saying, like, to have a small space and to make it feel bigger, that is a great, great uh, exercise for something mm. like that. It makes total sense. Yeah, cool. Sorry, that was yeah, that was that was a huge bit of uh, diarrhea there. I didn't realize I'm, I'm quite oh, tired dude, at this that's... end. We just got the kids to bed, so excuse me if I <laughs> if I go on a lot. Dude, that is the show. That it, you'll you'll learn. This is a. It's not an interview. It's just a chat. Mm-hmm. Just talking about whatevs. I'm here to talk about cool. you, man. And cool. you you did theater, and I love your stuff. I've seen your your reel is incredible. Like oh cool, thank you. I, I'm one of my. Uh, I love the editing side of it as well, so that I get to cut them myself. So I really nice. enjoy that. Dude, killed it, killed it. You have cool. one of those like certain people just come across on screen as like oh okay yes I can see this person in everything, and your reel mm-hmm. is one of those. I was like wow this cool. is really really good. Like I I've seen the dear brother thing. I haven't seen most of the projects that are in the reel, and I'm totally invested just by the cool. clips you put in your reel. That's great because oh. most of the world haven't seen most of those projects. Most of them are <laughs> very, very, very wonderful, but very, very little known short films and things like that. But, um, but yes, I, I think you should be a casting director, Brian. Definitely, that's a, a, an excellent, <laughs> an excellent appraisal. You know what? Perfect. That's what this really is. It's not a podcast. It's a casting session. Well done, Mr. Excellent. Guyver. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but so then you, you're doing theater, and then uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you ended up on uh, the West End doing Warhorse. That's right, absolutely. Um, and again, I think that was that, that was totally uh, due to those those roots in that kind of very poor theatre technique. Cause, mm-hmm. um, um, certainly in, in England, in the in the uh, West End, in the kind of uh, where where the very popular theatre is now, things like you know, Lion King really have their roots in that in that field of theatre as well. Julie yeah. Taymor trained in a school in France called Le Coq, which is a physical theatre school that that has exactly that kind of philosophy of making your own work making something out of nothing and you can see that in the aesthetic of the show and in the way and even in that kind of big budget performance how they how they use their bodies to tell the story uh, yeah. rather than really kind of you know there's expensive props and sets and lights yes but but at the heart of it is the ensemble of of performers telling that story and that style of theater has really become very popular now and that's Kind of what Warhorse is a grand dialogue is, is people seeing that work, they understand that way of storytelling, and they're ready now for a story where the main character isn't even a, a human actor; it's a it's a puppet. Yeah, um, yeah, and you can kind of relate to it. Um, and I'm sure most people across the world have come across Warhorse in one one way or another. But um, I, I got to see it before I was in it uh, when it was on at the National Theatre first, and it was it's an incredible show. It's a it's a beautiful show, and um, and I was very very lucky to to become a part of it at the moment it moved from the national theater to the west end and and actually that that was a a huge life achievement for me in fact was having been at that youth theater national theater when i was a a teenager to then come full circle and and be working for them as a professional is something i'd always dreamed of and so uh, so yeah that was a big moment for me Um, for sure i can imagine was that your first professional gig um oh Hell no! Um, <laughs> it's, it's the first one that I guess anyone would have heard of ever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's that it's that thing where where you see kind of the people getting their best newcomer awards and things like that are people who've been working for five, ten, twenty years. Um, of course, but, but only now are kind of kind of getting to a point where where people are recognising that. But I mean, no, I worked on touring theatre shows where we made projects with masks, with puppets. Where, yeah, where we travel around, we perform to um, you know two or three people in one day because we didn't sell many tickets or, or big houses of people and um, tiny village halls to kind of big, big um, 
uh, auditoriums, uh, you know, in the, and going around schools as well and doing traditional shows. I spent a very entertaining uh, few weeks doing uh, two shows about sex education for going into nice. primary schools and secondary schools <laughs> with, with, a, with a team of four of us with some very well-written, very funny plays, um, uh, kind of getting to talk to young people uh, where we go some scenes then after we say, well, OK, here's one of the characters, let's talk to them. The kind of questions they'd come out with um, were, were <laughs> amazing and, ter- and terrifying at the same time. So we'd be armed with all this knowledge to, to talk about these issues to do with uh, whether it's underage sex or, or uh, uh, sexual health and things like that. Um, and yeah, that was a hilarious uh, summer. That's amazing. See, mm. <laughs> that's the other side of the dream you don't get. You're like, I want to be a oh, working actor. All right, cool. Here's what you're going to be oh, doing. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. All of those experiences, you know, that I, I would not have been in a place to, to kind of work very hard and, and be involved in a show of that of the caliber like Warhorse had I not gone through all of those kind of successes and failures and struggles and moments of going oh man this is never going to work and oh I'm going to give it up or, or how, on earth, how on earth am I going to you know uh, kind of keep doing this with, with the level of rejection you get in an industry like this with the level of kind of uh, barriers financially there are as well theatre in England certainly uh, in fact in America it's probably even worsely funded because it's very much private funding mm-hmm. um, and so um yeah, without kind of facing through all of those challenges and and getting to kind of hone my skills, which I you know have a long way to continue to grow. Um, but um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have been ready to do a show like that at all. For sure, that's something I've mm. also learned by doing this show and talking to so many people. Is all experience is cumulative. You know, it's mm-hmm. like everything builds on top of everything else. Like you said, you were doing yeah. you were doing puppetry already and doing things like that, and then you find yourself on Warhorse. And uh, what what all I know you were an actor in the show as well as a puppeteer. Mm. And I was, I was a puppeteer first, very much, and really, I was really? first brought brought in as a, as a puppeteer, and then kind of had to fight a bit to be an actor as well. Um, nice uh, to kind of to kind of be be seen as as both things, not just one. Um, sure. But um, so I came in as a, a hind puppeteer, which was the back legs, and then spent spent about six months working with a with an extremely wonderful team um, with an actor called Alan Jari and uh, and an actor called Jane Leaney, and the three of us made up the horse. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've had other people. I know you've had a couple of other people on the show who've worked on this as well. Uh-huh. But um, uh, but just just briefly, the the horse teams. You've got a, a, someone who's on the head of the horse. Um, uh, controls the ears, moves the head around. Someone mm-hmm. who's in the in the chest, the heart of the horse, who does the front legs, and then someone who's in the back of the horse does the back legs and the tail. And then you've got not one person telling a story, performing that character, but three different people who have to kind of sync up and synergize and listen to each other and breathe together so that they can be responding, improvising and performing as if they were one creature. And that, that's the kind of that's what makes that show fascinating to perform as well as fascinating to watch. Is that kind of ongoing uh, challenge of being in the moment throughout the entire performance um, sure. and and so yes yeah, so I, I started in the back legs and i i after six months our contracts were renewed we thought we were all going to get kicked out it was right when we had a big kind of credit crunch in this country and and the financial crisis was going on and we'd we'd been in the theater for six weeks and got us all in a big circle now, guys we've got some news for you and we thought oh, man we're 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 done here um mm. and um and i said yeah we're gonna extend for another year and everyone went nice oh oh man this is great <laughs> but, but um oh wow i did have other plans so, so yeah, we all then had to go and assess our lives and, and i thought 
it's great. I, and it was an opportunity for me to then say, look, I'm not just a puppeteer. I, I want to act as well. This is character. This is tracking the show that, that Al's doing and Al's leaving, where you do the front legs of both the horse, but you also get to play this wonderful character who gets up, yeah. uh, crawls into no man's land, the, the, the gap between the trenches uh, to save the horse and find himself face to face with a German soldier. And yeah. then in a very kind of funny, touching, touching moment, has to, has to interact with that uh, across the language barrier uh, through humour. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful role, and it was great to do that as well. That's amazing. So, did you ever do any other part of the horse, or you're the hind legs? I did. I, I did. I did the hind legs for six months. I did the uh, front legs probably for uh, two years after that. Wow. Total. Yeah. So I spent a big chunk of time doing that show. Do and, you have a preference? Um, yeah. Um, oh, wow. I think probably the front legs in the end are more suited to my body type. Um, it's, uh, the, the, the front legs, the, the heart uh, controls the breath. The, the breathing slot right. for the horse is in there, and so you're that, that's really kind of the emotional uh, thermometer of the of the creature. Whether you're breathing fast or slow or, or deep or shallow, that's really telling the rest of your team how that horse is feeling emotionally. Whereas the back sure. legs really can ground it, ground it physically, or it can push the, like the motor in that animal that will push it forward or stop it dead. Um, and the head's really telling you what it's looking at, what it's thinking, thinking, and then. What its atten- where its attention is. Um, so we're really kind of communicating with each other physically throughout the performance. And, and yeah, I really enjoyed that, and that kind of emotional um, interaction as part of it. Sure. It sounds mm. so hard to have three people be one creature that close in proximity. And like, like you said, it's the perfect uh, exercise of everyone coming together, getting on the same wavelength to bring a creature to life. So much so that the audience is like, I know it's a puppet, but I feel for this horse, you know, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But that is the absolutely, absolutely, and and you know the language we talk about it was very much, and this is all credit to the directors as well. Mm-hmm. But we talk about the character, you know, it wasn't like like uh, the horse. The horse is an animal, and it's doing things. Like, yes, the horse is an animal, but really, you know, what is it doing in this scene? What's its intention? What does it want here? Okay, you know, it's, it wants animal things. It wants food. Or it wants comfort, or it's afraid. But you know, what we we talk about. It, as if it was a character character that had an impact on every single scene, had a desire, whether it got that or not, in every moment. Because a lot of the time, there are human characters talking, and then what's this horse doing in the background, and why is it doing it? Right. And, you know, we've got a lot of freedom to investigate that night after night. And uh, yeah, Absolutely. I love how mm. puppeteering is so closely related to your journey. Like, it's not just acting. It was always acting and puppeteering. Mm. And then how they both coincide with your story is pretty amazing. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was very lucky. Very, very. <laughs> yeah, and you know, if you'd asked me, I when I was a kid, a teenager, whatever, uh, are you going to be? What are you going to do when you grow up? I would not have told you I was going to be a puppeteer. I would have had no idea sure. that, that that was even something you could do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and and so yeah, that's um. Then it just yeah. worked out. That's uh, I've, mm. I've learned. Luck is preparation meets opportunity. You know, like you absolutely. Said, if you hadn't done everything you did before, you wouldn't have had the skills required to be in the West End doing Warhorse. Like it's all. It all makes sense in the end, and that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know you worked on the uh, the 2012 Olympics. I know Derek Arnold did, and I know you did. Yeah, although Derek and I didn't work on the same bit. We, we in fact, we hadn't met at that point. Um, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So um, Derek was working on on this wonderful kind of vast puppets with um, um with the Blind Summit in the in the section uh, that that was based around telling the story of the National Health Service. Uh, I was involved with um 
through Warhorse, through the choreographer of Warhorse, Toby Cedric, um, I'd been had been doing some movement work with him. He invited me and nine other people to come along and help uh, teach and create work with the thousand volunteers in the Industrial Revolution section. Oh, so we the section so like where dancing the people, stuff. Yeah. Well, well, well it, I mean if you can call it that there's a moment where the whole green and pleasant land at the beginning the whole stadium's covered in turf from there yes. we've got these kind of little vignettes going on all over it and then the drumming comes in and, and uh, Danny Boyle had brought along um, Underworld to, to, to um, um, compose this amazing kind of drum track and um, when that music comes in the guys start literally putting fingers into the turf and tearing up the earth and revealing the uh, uh, the kind of industrialized britain underneath and yeah. um so yeah so it's so a how on earth we did that and there was a, a kind of a mass movement team who, do, who worked and created a lot of that and that uh, mass movement of how those groups pulled that turf up and then we were kind of working with the movement choreography with all those guys um so that they were kind of half dancing half working and using those very kind of the root of physical movements that and giving that some kind of uh, artistic um motifs to um yeah to move them around as well Sure. It looked great because I remember watching that and being like, what is going on? It's such spectacle. It was so cool. It, it was crazy. Danny Boyle is a genius. I'm, I'm very excited to hear that he's directing a Bond film. Right yeah, now. yeah. I look, I look forward to seeing that very much. He's amazing. So that's mm. a great segue. When did you start working in movies then? Um, oh, oh, yes. When did I start working in movies? Um, I, you know, I'd always kind of dreamed of working in movies. And when I was a teenager, I'd even, I bought this book, The Guide to Becoming a British Stunt Person. Nice. And I read the book and I was like, wow, I should have started this 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> um, um, and, and subsequently, I've got to work with lots of wonderful stunt people. They're fantastic people, incredibly skilled. And I, I realized that was probably not, I probably didn't have the time to uh, to break bones uh, d- yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and and just to train to the level in the level different disciplines that they that they train it as well you know, they have to be uh, at a kind of a competition level in five different disciplines like horse riding gymnastics martial arts you know when oh, you realize yeah. how many hours you know you say someone's good at something when they've done a thousand hours well they need to be good at five things that's five thousand hours yeah. they probably need to be much 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 better than good so so the kind of financial and and time investment is vast um, and i have no end of respect for <laughs> some performance um but um um but i i kind of didn't really find a way into film i couldn't find a way of film for me i was interested in acting a film but um you know, casting directors were, were looking for young people who came out of drama schools that did, you know, talking instead of wearing masks and clowning and falling over. Um, <laughs> and, and so um, I, it wasn't until I left Warhorse, and right at the moment I left Warhorse, um, I was uh, invited to go along to a film set with, uh, by, by, again, by Al Najari, who I'd worked with. And Al, had, Al was the founder of a, a, a theatre company that I, you know, I was writing essays about when I was at university. So I, I already thought I was very kind of fascinated by his work yeah. um, and he said can you come along and, I, and he kind of told me how much you pay for a day on a film compared to a day in the theatre and I was like I'm there this is great <laughs> uh, we were pregnant with our, our first child at the time we were just like I've just left this big show uh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing uh, and he's like yeah come along that's great so I said great so we thought it was one day we went up to this film studio uh, in Shepparton where we met a stunt woman who was hanging on a, uh, a wire over a bit of kind of scaffolding and polystyrene and um and we were showing this animation of of someone flying around the international space station which is about kind of 15 seconds long and then um and uh and we 
worked with with the stunt performer, stunt coordinator, uh, to help puppeteer her movements as if she was in um, in space. And and the, that film was uh, Gravity, very what? very early stages. Um, and um, it turns out Alfonso Caron had had essentially animated the entire movie as a previs. Um, you know, the animators had had made the movie um, in in much simpler animation than you see in the cinema. And so they knew what they were, their shots were and everything. And they were trying to recreate it with their performance. And, and yeah, you know, it, it was a struggle because it was a very demanding uh, film. Yeah. And so I think either Alfonso or someone on his team had, had done some R&D and, and realised that perhaps having some puppeteers would be would be helpful. Um, and so he'd seen War Horse or someone on his team had, and they said, these are good people. And so, so a, a, a handful of people from that team were brought in, and then that's how I'd ended up there. And um, and yeah, we we were there because when those actors or stunt people are on wires, the strain and effort to hold your centre is is such that you see that in the neck, you see that in the face. Um, mm-hmm. And and whereas the beauty that he was re- that Alfonso was really kind of trying to articulate was was the helplessness of being in zero gravity. Was that if you're a hair's breadth away from what you're trying to hold on to. There's sure. nothing you can do to reach it. You've got nothing to push off, nothing to hold on to. You are you are completely out of control. Um, and whilst you can make physical effort, there's no effort involved in movement. And um, right. and, and so with the actors on the wires, if they were going to push off something and move, we would then take a hold of them and their harnesses or their legs, their, their bodies, and move them so they could push off and then feel that real movement of travelling through space as if they were weightless. Yeah, and they still had to work very hard physically, but but we were there to kind of create that helplessness of weightlessness, and and also then to in, help interpret the three D movements from from the animation to um uh, to how we would actually put them in space with a camera. Sure. And then the animators they film that, and the animators literally animate, paint us out of those pictures. You know, I'd say ninety percent of that movie is animated. Uh, it's the actors' faces. And their facial performances, um, and then for some shots, their bodies as well. That that's real. There's one or two little practical sets within there, mm-hmm. but ninety percent of it is animation. And if you look at that movie and you watch that, it's it's incredible what they, those guys achieved. Wow! So um, you're telling me one of the first yeah. things you ever puppeteered in a movie was Sandra Bullock? I mean, that, that I don't. <laughs> that, 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 that's almost un, unfair to the work she did because she she worked incredibly hard on that. But but it, I mean, you could say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, that's pretty but, good. Uh, that's yeah, pretty good. It was, it was, it was amazing. I'd, I'd never worked on a film set before. Um, wow. I mean, I don't, you know, and, and you know, a lot of people don't get to go on film sets very often. Of course. And the first time you step onto one and you look around you, uh, and you are like, wow, this is like a dusty soundstage <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. That's right. And like there's all these big bits of machinery and these big blue screens or green screens and um, and everyone's kind of making it up as they go along. Yeah, it's just... and, and that I was like, that's what we were doing, running around little rural touring theatres, working out with our masks and our, and our strange props and our silly hats. Um, you know, this is kind of the same thing. These guys are going, you know, on a on a on a much grander scale. These guys are working out out. Okay, we've got this shot. I can imagine that everything would be pre-planned, and they do. And obviously, there is a lot of planning in films, mm-hmm. but but something that in in gravity, especially because everything was so was so new and so bespoke. Um, even the technology was being was being uh, custom built for a lot of it. So, um, um, 
everything was being worked out as we went along and tried out and some things worked, some things didn't. Uh, these amazing kind of robotic arms uh, that they mounted cameras on that for some shots were, for, were amazing, but for other shots they just weren't working at all. Um, and, and, and so there was so much trial and error involved in that process. It, it blew my mind. Um, yeah, it really kind of opened my mind my eyes to that whole world sure it's pretty mm. crazy when you think about like shooting a scene it's still just actors in front of a camera you know absolutely just, the scale yeah. is so different it's that's mm-hmm. insane that is funny though yeah. when you, the first time you're on a set you're like wait a minute there's 300 people around this thing absolutely <laughs> and probably most of for most of them it's their day job and they couldn't give a crap i know, you know how like, weird is that you know yeah, well, and, uh, that's a massive generalization you know, certainly certainly from the English film industry over here, um, I know from the American film industry from what I've seen of it, um, everyone cares very deeply about the work. Of but course. at the same at the same time, how every day it is to, to so much, Absolutely. so much of the crew. You know, you know they're there, they're doing a job, and they are really good at that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, that first day you step on a set and you, you're like, oh god, this is amazing. Whereas these guys have worked on hundreds of films, you know, and, yeah, right. and, and in whatever capacity <laughs> they're doing, whether it's uh, from the catering to the uh, uh, to the facilities to the, you know, they put up blue screens or green screens. They're electricians, you know, the, the amount of, the amount of work that goes into them that, uh, yeah, is, is amazing. For sure, I worked mm. on uh, Ballers with uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson on HBO. Oh, wow. I did like cool. a, I was just a background guy for that. Yeah. But I remember mm. there was one guy's job. He just had uh, little shots of espresso. And he would just yeah. go around to the crew and just pass them out. I was like, That's "Oh awesome. man!" <laughs> and he's everyone's favorite guy. Everyone, and, and he's <laughs> like, his hair's kind of crazy. So what he yeah. does, he'd give you one, and then he'd take one, and then he'd go and give you one, and then he'd take one. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, it's amazing. Goodness, but, yeah. but same sort of thing. You're like, there's so many people here you don't expect because you know, uh-huh. on the other side of the screen. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have a tradition with really, really my wife mm-hmm. kind of, kind of uh, uh, started, but um, uh, which is when we go to cinema. Uh, we have to stay to the very end of the credits. Good man. Like it, it is, it is like a cardinal crime to leave before all of those names have finished going through. Um, sure. and we, we're trying to teach that to our children now as well, um, to the point where we went to um, their school to watch, uh, I think it was Paddington, um, nice. uh, you know, it's a kind of after school club. And, um, uh, and the film finished and the music started and the lady pushed it off and, and our son jumped and said, no, the music hasn't finished. You have to play it all. <laughs> and we, we were, glowing with pride my wife's here at the moment you with, our, with our youngest right now and she's she's grinning she definitely remembers that but yeah we were glowing with pride that's incredible <laughs> that's what you need to do man there's so many mm-hmm. people especially nowadays like yeah. in visual effects in creature uh, yeah. performers like it's absolutely amazing how many people came together getting anything made with any amount of people is already a miracle but just the sheer absolutely. scale is incredible <laughs> which uh is a great segue into uh you got into a little space movie a little bit after uh gravity Yes, and, and well, and that was again. That was another combination of right place and right time, and how all these events come together. But um, uh, and again, um, through, much through the Olympics, really, um, I got to work with uh, as part of Toby Stewart's team, the lovely Paul Casey. Oh, um, the best. And, and yes, so you're familiar with Paul's work. Paul's Paul's wonderful, big fan, lovely man. Uh, I had no idea really about about this side of his work. I mean, I knew he'd done some stuff in Doctor Who, mm-hmm. but we'd spent our time running around for volunteers on the Olympics and and uh, kind of you know. I, I, chatting away over, over that for kind of probably nine months or so prep mm-hmm. we had for that job um and and it turned out we had the same agent as well so so nice we, kind of, we got on really well um uh, he called up and and said well look Rowan, there's this thing going on um and you know i put your name on a list and i can't really tell you what it is but someone might give you a call <laughs> at some point so nice. no, i'm sure most people who are involved um um 
involved in that in in that, in that franchise. I think certainly on my side of side of it had had a similar story to that in one way or another. Is someone phoned them up and said, hey, "There's something going on. Yep. I'm not allowed to tell you what it is." Everyone, but, uh, but yes, but <laughs> if the phone rings, you should answer it. Absolutely, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so yeah, that, and that was um, that was the Force Awakens. Gosh, I can't remember what year that was now, but um. um so far back, yes. so far back, yes. and you've done so yeah. much. <laughs> so Paul Casey was uh, here in. Yeah, well, yeah, well, lovely Paul. And then I think also uh, Rick very kindly had um, been asked if he could recommend people he'd worked with on War Horse and Derek and I had worked together on that. He kindly put my put, uh, put my name in a hat as well. And so, so um, yes, I got, and I got called in to, to do some R&D very early on um, uh, when Pinewood Studios was un, uh, undergoing some massive refurbs, um, um, uh, when I forgot a call from uh, lovely Brian Herring um, yeah. to uh, to undo the Happabore in the very oh, nice. very early stages, and that was really kind of the, the main thing I was involved in in Force Awakens was this kind of vast thing we called it the Big Beast back then. Yeah, um, and um, and it started off as this kind of amazing kind of hippo type creature and the concept art and you hadn't hadn't changed so much sometimes at some point it was perhaps more mm-hmm. had kind of cybernetic parts or things like that but um but the very early on really we just had a big plasters oats which is kind of like like quite lightweight but but sturdy foam uh outer shell uh with myself and, and four other guys in there and um where i was inside the head of this creature which oh, was nice. kind of kind of like standing inside. I don't know what's what's a comparable size. You know, a small car, I guess. Well, no, for Americans, a tiny car. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, um, but um, inside, I had um, this kind of small housing, um, and then the other four guys each had, a, had the guys on the right hand side had their right foot inside a foot. Oh wow! And the guys left hand side had their left foot inside a foot, and so when they stepped with that foot, uh, the creature's leg was attached to that and stepped with them. And so we kind of just worked out coordinating these legs, moving them around, moving this head around so it looked like there was a spine in there, so it looked like it could breathe and charge around. Um, and and um, and that was all part of Neil Scanner Creature Shop um, as they were really starting to do the very early R and D for all the different creatures there. And um, and so we spent a week kind of playing around with this this creature, running around with it, getting it charging around. Every time Neil came in, he's like, "Yeah, no, more, faster, <laughs> go on, yeah, yeah, oh, great." And he's, he's such an inspiring presence, Neil. He's the um, best. And if you watch any of his interviews, you can really that really comes across. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Um, but. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so we'd always be, and then you would come in and be going, oh, go left, right, left, right. Oh, so we kind of choreographed these incredibly muscular, uh, strong, on things with with Paul Case in the outside, keep counting us in and talking to us and keeping us all working together. Um, and um, yeah, and we had this in charging around, rearing up in the air with its head. We imagined a kind of great beast of burden, kind of like a kind of like a cross between a, a hippo and a camel, um, and maybe a bit of wild boar as well um, on a vast scale um yes we had it running around and we tried i think we tried having kieran riding at one stage as well yeah kieran shah um um and and yeah it was it was it was very exciting Um, and then we carried on r&ding it and um and every time we came back in it got got a little bit heavier 
as it had kind of more things put in it, more 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 metal work went onto the inside. Of course, uh, um, and more metal, uh, but still, it kind of had this outer plaster out shell, and we're still moving the head around and stuff like that until we did this big show and tell uh, for for JJ and his team, and they loved it. Um, um, and yes, and it's part. Yeah, you know, we were there, and then um, there was uh, I think it was Derek and Tom were in the um, yep. in in the Little Beast, which which became uh, oh gosh, the Lugger Beast. Now. Yeah, the Lugger Beast. That's mm-hmm. It. and then and then a few of the the creature heads as well we had this kind of show and tell like this kind of strange marketplace in the middle of a big sound stage in in pinewood uh where where uh, and when neil sets up a show and tell it's like um you know he doesn't kind of set them up like museum pieces and then uh, people say well how does it work just, no, when people walk in the room they're entering an environment it, it's like a, a live show and um, and so we're there, ready, waiting. You know, we go, oh, they'll be here in in ten minutes. Okay, so we get into their puppets and we get all ready and get moving around. Then we get, oh, it's been pushed back half an hour. Okay, so we'll be, they'll be there in half an hour. Okay, <laughs> <sighs> okay, <laughs> these heavy puppets. Yeah. Okay, they can be here in two minutes. Ten minutes later, okay, they can be here, and then eventually they arrive. Okay, go, 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 and then and, then, and you're bringing this world to life, and things are moving around. You're making sounds, you sounds, and and vocalizing the performance. You know stuff they won't necessarily use on camera, but just to kind of create that environment. Sure, uh, um, you know, and so so in terms of like selling an idea, that's that's what that job is that day is to go. These things are real, and we need to believe them. Like you know, much like a theatrical performance, really, to to bring it back to that. Right. Um, 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 and, uh, and yeah, and so so that was this big kind of show until where we finally got the okay, yes, we're going to use this thing, and then we found out when it was going to be. And okay, it's going to be on a location shoot. That's exciting. And so they started then getting the okay and the funding and uh, approved to then you know build the skin, build the animatronics for the eyes, you know, get finalised design. So yes, um, and and that whole process started happening. Uh, so we came back in again and again. You know, we, you know, sometimes there was a week in between, sometimes there was a month in between, sure. um, until we got kind of a final version that we were rehearsing with. Um, and that point, we kind of been rearing up and running around. We got in this final version, uh, and it got heavier and heavier. But then they, <laughs> then they, then they painted it, and. Um, and you would not believe the weight that um, that I, I mean I have no idea how many tins of paint done with uh, uh, airbrushes went onto that thing. But the moment we got in there with the paint on, for me in the head, the guys walking around, you know, there's a significant weight they were having to lift with their leg. I strap into this thing. Yeah, you know, I've got my weightlifting belt on to to protect my spine mm-hmm. and. Um, I grab the bar to lift the head up and I can literally, I cannot lift it with my arms. I can bend my knees. I can shrug my shoulders. I can just about go up on tiptoes. But the weight with the animatronics and and the latex uh, skin and then and then all those layers of of paint that have made it look incredible and photo real. Mm. um, Just we go, okay, so now let's find out how this thing really moves um <laughs> and 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 so it comes this huge lumbering uh you know six ton creature that that's kind of lugging through the sand and the desert um and 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 it was exactly that we didn't really know exactly what it scene was until there we're shooting it on the day and go, okay we're here we're at the water the water fountain great just say yeah come on this is great and we've we've <laughs> acclimatized to abu dhabi uh, just about which for me being i, I <laughs> this being a radio medium i, I have red hair fair skin yeah freckles. Right. perfect my viking, for my, my viking ancestors were not designed for um um uh, uh for the heat yeah. of the equator um uh but but we've acclimatized by that point we're wearing these kind of um sand colored skin tight lycra leggings so that 
<laughs> lobs blend into them. So it makes the animators work of, of painting them out later much easier. Right. Um, and and um, and we're in this thing. They they can literally stick an aircon unit pumping cold air into its rear end uh, when we're not <laughs> when we're not working to kind of keep us alive. So actually, we were in more comfort than a lot of people were out there. Um, but um, we walk this this huge thing, which is brought on set on a on a great big kind of. Wow. Manitou, kind of, which is literally kind of lifted like a great big forklift truck with a great long arm on it, and it's dropped down and set. And go, okay, well, here we are with this water by this water fountain, this this water this watering hole in the middle of the desert uh, on Jakku, and um, and and we're told, yeah, okay, come a bit closer, yeah, come a bit closer to the water when it's head in the water. Like, oh, great, head in the water, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't we didn't know about that. It's great, it's drinking. That makes sense. Cool. Just mm-hmm. and I'm hearing the radio. Just don't get the eyes wet, guys. The eyes have got servers in them. Don't get the eyes wet. Oh God. Yeah. Okay, go. Yes, get him a bit more. He needs to be a bit further in to get him in. Okay, so bring him a bit further in. And I'm, I'm kind of walking up this little hill where to get into the water. Yeah, he needs the head. Yeah, he's, let's get his head all the way in. Yeah, and so. <laughs> His head is me, and so I, I kind of step up into this this pool of kind of tepid um, green. It's not, it wasn't a real watering hole. The, the guys had built this this beautiful looking set with right. kind of air air nozzles in it and stuff that create bubbles. And um, and then I, st- I was like, oh god, here we go. And I had to step into the water. <laughs> stepped in with one leg. Now a bit further. Stepped in with two legs. I'm just wearing trainers under the or, or desert boots or something under these under these skin tight leggings uh-huh. that immediately fill with water. Um, <laughs> and I go, okay, now make him drink. And I'm hearing, hearing Paul on the on the radio going, yeah, loving, yeah, yeah, really good into it. Big drink. Yeah, he's loving it. He's great. He hasn't drunk for weeks. Yeah, so we're thrashing the head around, getting really into. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, um, and- and, and as we're doing that, the, the hole through which my legs come out is starting to take on water, getting oh, heavier, um, <laughs> to, the point, to the point where every time they cut, they have these guys run in to take the weight of the body off us, oh, so, that, so that our spines can elongate again. Um, um, and so we, we were kind of, yeah, and that, that went on. You know, we probably we shot for maybe an hour or so on that scene um, oh. with variations where, you know, John's drinking next to us or John comes and meets us or John mm. barges us out of the way, we barge him out of the way. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the one obviously the one they, they chose for the film was, was fantastic. It's such, it's such a beautiful, humorous and, and quintessentially Star Wars moment oh, where, yes. where, where there's this tiny vignette where he drinks and, and this big thing just whoo, knocks him yeah. out but again just where you go if you look at the thing you go wow this is that that creature is a whole world and every one of those creatures is a whole world and worth every second of screen time to, to feed your imagination to, to what is that thing's story you know who does it belong to and it just just add, every moment like that adds to the richness um yeah so totally. yeah and that, that yeah but the amount of work that went into those those few seconds of performance for that habit ball were, were were huge sure. um, you know and he we, actually the things where he's lumbering across for some of the helicopter shots and i don't think i can pick any of them out in the film but um but you know who knows maybe, maybe they're in there um it's a great moment that when you when you were telling me you're in the happy board and you said the head the first thing i thought was you knocked john boyega over right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that was literally kind of okay and now charging towards the right of this this small car i'm inside yeah. I, 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 so I i hit the wall of that that hits him he then but he then falls over you know i i can't see out of there i've got a little tiny monitor i've got no idea where he is they're just having to tell me okay so you're right and go so i'm just running as hard as i can and going i hope i don't hurt him <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. method it's method robin <laughs> yes oh yeah absolutely um, but no, he was a great sport as well you know he's yeah um, he seems the best and then mm-hmm. so that creature moved on to uh more creatures in a different realm that you worked on. I know you worked mm. on Fantastic Beasts, and uh, the footage looks incredible. You're like holding a mm. head. Talk to me. Oh, oh yeah. Oh so wow. So that that was that's so. 
it, it is like the flip side to Star Wars, the world of Fantastic Beasts, because in Fantastic Beasts, there are uh, you don't see any of the, the puppets um, on camera. Everything you see is animated. Thanks. And so there we're really getting in there with with uh, much cruder, simpler puppets. Again, much more like the kind of things we'd be mocking up for our theatre shows. Sure. 10, 10, 15 years ago. And, um, you know, it might just be... A, head it might just be a, a hand or, or just a, a small kind of rod puppet um th- so the actors know what this creature is they can look at it and they know okay that's what it is it's this big it's moving like, like that you know is it feeling aggressive or is it feeling shy we can really give a, an emotional quality performance so they they can pitch their performance that performance of the creature can be directed um and so there's no doubt on set that um what what is happening um in that animation um which involves us working very closely with the animation team and basing our performances very much of their animation studies as well and working with visual effects supervisors and um but it's 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 like um it's like a tennis ball on a stick uh, but yeah. <laughs> but so much more it's about um uh, getting in there and, and having a kind of a live performance, live improvisation interaction with those actors with each of these with each of these creatures in those films of which there are many oh yes um, um, and it gives our camera department something to frame on as well. You've got a creature, the, the Arumpant in our first film is, is, is you know, bigger than the Habibor. It's, it's eight metres long, five, uh, I think four or five metres high. Yeah. It's massive. And we built a whole wire frame skeleton for that. Um, and there's lots of footage of that on YouTube as well. So I won't get, oh, I've seen it. I won't get hunted down by Warner Brothers for telling That's right. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and we, we had three performers uh, who, who were all... In Warhorse, we had a, a rumpin' head, a rumpin' heart, a rumpin' hind, but they were in this much bigger creature, you know. And we, did, we did, didn't need legs because uh, what the legs were doing would all be animated, but what it did need was a head because we needed to know where it was looking. Right. It needed a body because we needed to know how big is that thing. Um, and and then it kind of performed this choreographed sequence with, with Ed when he does this kind of mating dance with it which was which was is, is a surreal hilarious but also yeah. high stakes <laughs> moments in the film um, absolutely and you know we shot that for two days and trying to shoot that without some kind of puppet in there would have would have been such a complicated endeavor oh, yeah. um whereas when we, when we bring something real in there um however however simplistic it is if we can if we can get the actors and, and the crew as well really to invest in it um for sure then 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 that the story of that digital performance that the animators are creating is being told already, and the cameras are framing for it. The timing is working for it. Um, so when the digital performance does get created and does get put into those frames, already there's there's interaction, emotional and physical interaction with that creature. And that and for me that's that's what's really exciting about it. In some ways, it looks like a kind of a, a, a much less interesting environment in the world of Star Wars, but mm-hmm. you. you the the interaction with the performers and the access we have to them um and and how key it is to to having something real there um, i mean we've all seen moments where cg is is you know doesn't feel well integrated whether people whether two two actors are looking at two different spots you know you, you pick up on those things even even subconsciously i think right if the actors don't know what they're looking at or if they think they're performing to one thing or what's been animated is perhaps not quite the thing that um uh, that they were imagining you know you pick up on that stuff and so so the more we can we can integrate practical performance with with the visual effects world i think the the better um the better it is for everyone 
I agree. I agree. And that that whole I, I forget the name of it. You know what I'm talking about the the rhino mm-hmm. thing that you were. Oh, the the erumpent. Yes. Yes, the erumpent. The whole, the thing that you guys were in was kind of like a paper balloon looking thing, but in the shape of the rhino. It's so cool. The, That's the it. It was yeah. The, uh, Pierre Bohano runs a prop modeling workshop, and the, and his his designers created this kind of this kind of rig fuse, um, which was yeah, which was lightweight, so we get it on and off set. Um, it was it was easy to to work with. Um, also, because it doesn't have a big block skin to it, it, it's like a skeleton. Again, for the animators, it's much less for them to paint out when they're right. painting the body of the creature over as well. You know, it's taking in all these kind of uh, CG factors as well, which which I've learned so much about over the past few years, and it's frankly absolutely fascinating. Um, Agreed. It's the yeah. other side of the coin. We have you guys that are like the creature mm-hmm. performers, the puppeteers, but like your legs are underneath the chin of the happer. You know, so uh-huh. it's like absolutely, with that absolutely. With and, the some, and someone frame by frame probably yeah. is having to paint that out. You know, and that's that's uh, a month's work for for you know a. T- yeah, can sequence, do, maybe that, I don't know. That's yeah, someone's job know. is to paint out legs. Yeah, you know. Yeah, have you spoken to an animator? Yeah. They'd, uh, they'd be a really interesting person. To, I have. To, to, I actually yeah. had um, Hal Hickel on, who was the uh, designer and animator for K two. In Rome. oh wow, and wow, that's cool. I will listen to process, that after this. You, dude, you'll love it. His story, like mm-hmm. the fact that mm-hmm. he, when he was like, I think he was maybe twelve, he wrote a letter oh. to George Lucas talking about one day I'd like to make animations. And then flash forward 20 years, and he gets that letter signed by George Lucas after working on episode one. Man, don't let go of your dreams. That was, when I was working at the National Theatre, um, that that was something I dreamed of for years and years and years, for, like, for so long. And, yeah, it's one of those dreams that I hadn't dared tell people about because it seems so unrealistic at times. Oh, you know? I hear you. But, uh, but, um, but yes, never let go of those dreams. No. And, you know, and, and, you know, I have dreams today that, that today seem incredibly unrealistic. And yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta hold on to them. I gotta believe them. That's yeah. right. You know what I always think mm-hmm. of when I imagine uh, unrealistic dreams? I think about mm-hmm. the light bulb. You know, mm-hmm. if you would have went back hundreds of years, the idea of walking into a room and flipping a switch and there being light—that is unrealistic. It makes no mm-hmm. sense. Whereas now, Absolutely. we're like, we have you know, so it's like realistic isn't really real. You know, there's uh-huh. so many possibilities that you're just cutting yourself off by under the mm-hmm. under the totem of realistic. But yeah. Did you did you work on Rogue One? Uh, you know what? I did not work on Rogue One because shooting Rogue One uh, was happening exactly the same time. I th- pretty think I think as we were doing Fantastic Beasts, right. uh, so I kept losing Derek Arnold to Rogue One. <laughs> I was like, Derek, are you free? No, sorry, dude, I'm doing Busy. this thing. Oh, that thing. <laughs> Can't okay. talk about it. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that thing. Okay. <laughs> you did work on Life though. Yes. Yeah. How yeah. Cool yeah. Was um, that? It's a great movie. I mean that. I, it was. I mean. Terrifying. Man, I, even reading <laughs> reading the script was was terrifying. I don't know if they publish the script anywhere online, but um, I, if if they ever do, I highly recommend it because it's a it's it's a really well written piece as well. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was crazy, and and it, that was all shot in practical sets as well. Well, gravity, all of the sets are animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, life, all of the sets are practical, really built. Yeah, you know, really. The, the, the lids taken off so the guys can do their wire work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, uh, but um. But yes, and the claustrophobia that you really feel in those sets, you know, I mean, I mean, it must be mind blowing being an astronaut. Um, right. Those people must have mental fortitude to, to the extreme because um, moving around inside those spaces, they're so small, they're so cramped. And then just just trying to get your head around the fact that there's no up, there's no down, there's no left, there's no right. Whichever yeah. way you face creates a completely new um, relationship to that space. Yeah, that was really cool. And, and playing around with uh, our work on life started off thinking we were going to be doing very much the kind of same thing we were doing with gravity working with the wires and in fact the wire guys 
than that and the way the way the wire shots worked the actors were much more um uh, self-determined so they'd be working in in these kind of swivel rings where they had a lot more control and and, and were required to do things on their own much more uh, and we ended up doing, doing uh, attempting to do um kind of practical zero gravity effects so oh. obviously the, the the zero g world on that um is is animated mm-hmm. but whenever the actor is is holding on to an object you know they can't we can't expect them to mime the size of that object imagine he's holding like a a, a mug that you drink a tea or coffee out of mm-hmm. you can't expect them to mime the exact size of that object the same every time right um, or, or or even keep it the same within one take without the hand getting smaller or, or larger. I mean, try and do that now. Just yeah, put your course. hand in a shape and, and, and see if you can keep it there without it changing um, while, while talking to someone. Yeah, um, not happening. <laughs> so, so those objects had to be real. And so those objects had to get into the people's hands somehow. Uh, or, or if they had something like they have these, these great kind of light sticks, um, uh, these and light torches they use, like kind of advanced glow sticks that they're all forever letting go of and grabbing a hold of again um, that were practical lighting. And so these things, you know, they can't be CG because they're giving off their light sources. And so we were having to uh, uh, invent uh, systems using fishing wire, using uh, kind of rods that would be painted out by animators to um, to bring these things into the actor's hands and out again. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a unique uh, endeavor. And, yeah. and again, started off, off, off with with the conclusion that essentially what we were being asked to do was impossible. And then, so how well can we fake it for camera under yeah. what circumstances? <laughs> um, and we spent, that, we spent that job pretty much every day or every couple of days making a new little film of, of, of these objects of, of one object or another. We know in this scene, okay, there's these great big duffel bags full of water that need to be moved. So we make a little film of that to the director. We send it to him and be like, no, 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 I don't believe that. Try again, send it back to us. Okay, we, we try hanging it on wires in this way or that way, or, or okay, here's the, the scene where he's getting into his space suit. What, can we do the helmets way way too much for us to do anything with but the gloves okay so we hung the gloves from fishing wires and if we spin them just so you get this kind of feel there's there's a real gravity movement to it we'd film that and you go, yes it's that okay i want that tomorrow so we were really kind of day in day out having to to recreate and, and and create ideas and try things out and and yeah i learned a lot about tying knots in fishing wire uh, <laughs> uh you know and, and 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 we worked very closely with their special effects department as well um who, mm-hmm. who were incredibly helpful and supportive and, and were obviously building their own rigs to do other parts of that and and we um we worked with them on on various different on floating over a flamethrower at one stage they built and this guy it turned out the guy who built the flamethrower um, whose name escapes me now which is criminal he was such a lovely man had built the original flamethrowers i think for aliens what um um and and then so they had this kind of this bespoke flamethrower they built that he on a little rc control like you'd have for an advanced remote control car mm-hmm. he'd, he'd rigged this up to this thing so he could yeah, turn the pilot light on from unremotely. He could he could fire the gas remotely and actually you know it's remotely fire this flamethrower. You know it was wow. a real flamethrower he built. Um, you know it wasn't kind of engulfing, sending out napalm and engulfing. Yeah, of course, it was it was you know <laughs> kind of it was it was built to be like a converted kind of welding torch. But it was still it was like man, this guy's built a real flamethrower. I know, <laughs> uh, and is now controlling remote controlling it from over there. He is a genius. That's right. Um, Where are you going to get that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in terms of the department saying I. I love stuntmen earlier like special effects guys fascinate me you know these guys are and you know and i think a lot of people on set see them sitting with with hazers sending out kind of smoke and smoke and atmosphere and and and, but these guys are engineers these guys uh deal with demolitions explosives oh yeah Um, you know they are you know they're inventing 
absolutely bespoke rigs for, for this, that and the other and creating all kinds of things and create and for every one thing you're seeing on screen they created uh, the prototypes and the things that, that that perhaps don't don't make it into the film for whatever reason whether it whether it gets cut out of the scene or whether it's just not quite right for this particular project that there's so many so much more that gets created that has to be made in that process it's it's mind-blowing and yeah they're, they're fascinating people absolutely that makes me think of this behind the scenes uh thing that they did for episode eight where they're talking mm-hmm. about the explosions on crate how they went through like eight different kinds of dirt because like, I don't know, it just doesn't look right. And I'm like, wow, it's amazing. It's like, needs to be more red, needs to be less red. And it's just Mm -hmm. kind of work that goes into it. And the people that are like, let's try this, let's try this. Like everyone's the best of the best. And it's so cool because it really comes across on screen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really neat. Speaking of episode eight, you, uh, you were definitely a part of that. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah, have to been... talk about your claim to fame, the Thala Siren. <laughs> <laughs> That's a she, she's become a, she's become a hero to many. That's right. Um, That's why I'm like Tom and Derek. Yeah. You're never getting past this one. It's gold. <laughs> I mean, and, and I am. Um, you know, I got uh, um, pegged as like big creature, heavy head guy. That's right. So you... <laughs> after the you found so your like, niche. <laughs> we've got this, this other big creature and it's got a really heavy head. That's and, right. Uh, okay, great. Um, I know a guy. Um, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, I mean, I, but rather being inside the creature and this one, I got to be on the outside of it. It had a nice kind of bar uh, coming out the back and this lovely big kind of T-joint on it. You know, so I had great loads of movement, loads of control. I could see what I was doing, which was, uh, so yeah, it was, it's a, uh, it was a, um, I had much more kind of artistic control as a as a performer in that siren, um, and that build was amazing. I don't, uh, oh, like, it's incredible! The guy, the guys went on location to Ireland. They scanned the cliffs. They did a lidar scan of the cliffs, so they have the kind of computer imaging of what that cliff face is. So they then kind of either printed out or or out, out or 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 rebuilt then in pinewood, so they could build a creature that they knew would fit to that real cliff top. Wow. Um, um, and, and and they built it in Pinewood, and we, again, had rehearsals there with this kind of amazing BD and the little baby thalassirens that are all around it as well. So it was a huge kind of menagerie of us there, uh, mm-hmm. kind of bringing, bringing this thing to life. And then, um, um, and then um, kind of after a very similar kind of show and tell where we had had, had uh, kind of set, set the thalassiren up, kind of, and we didn't know what it was called at the time, so we called it the sea cow. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so we had the sea cow kind of, kind of bimbling around. Kind of, well, not bimbling around, but you know, looking around, keeping her alive, breathing. Tom and Derek inside. We had Aiden was, uh, um, Aiden Cook was involved. Oh, keeping, sweet. Yeah, um, uh, as part as part of the uh, puppetry team as well. Um, um, and then, um, uh, gosh, oh, oh gosh, I, I forget who was doing the faces now because I was always stuck behind the head, moving around. Um, Maybe it was Pat and Phil, perhaps. Um, but anyway, I, you know, there's there's a one there's the team in the creature shop. There are such lovely, amazing, talented guys, oh, and yeah. I feel very very lucky to have. I'm, I'm you know, and feel very much like I, I'm definitely one of the guys in that world because um, they, these guys guys are so experienced, have worked on so many projects, and in terms of the kind of uh, connection to. Um, the, the Jim Henson world that, that yeah. really has fed fed the careers of so many of those guys. You know, like I, I was watching stuff and going to the exhibitions when I was a kid, man, and, right. and those guys were working on those things. So, so um, um, yes, I, I feel so fortunate to be uh, a part of that team. But yeah, um, now you're one of those we, guys, Robin. Well, well, <laughs> I mean, let's call it what it is. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I had a conversation with Jimmy Sands, who who does a lot of the mechy building, the, the mechanical building of um of the creatures like like the Haberbore, but then so so many other things as well mm-hmm. um, that, that the creature shop create. And it turns out that we both went to the same exhibition on the Southbank Centre, the South Bank of the River Thames, um, where they where it was uh, Jim Henson's Labyrinth and Ooh. Dark Crystal were both um, were both have an exhibition. And I remember watching kind of a video by the Fireys. You know, the guys who get their heads they in the labyrinth. They terrify and, me. And, yeah, oh, absolutely, oh, absolutely, which is why I loved them. Right? Yeah. I mean, um, and I saw these guys in in these kind of, I think they're in, in um, kind of either black suits uh, on a black background. They're filming these guys, very early visual effects yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, stuff. You know, and, and Jim Henson, we're talking about working with visual effects. Jim Henson, if you look at early Muppet shows, if you look at kind of um, sure. where he's been using green screen and blue screen and stuff like that, you know, he's... he's um, um, his, his work integrated visual effects very early on. Um, um, we both went to this exhibition. I probably must have been about seven or eight, and Jimmy was probably um, at the beginning of his career as an engineer, I think working in a, in a kind of assembly line type factory type work. Uh-huh. Um, and, and we're both kind of very inspired by this exhibition. Um, so when I, I never thought I'd be a puppeteer when I was young. I never dreamed of something I could do, but, but it certainly inspired my imagination. That, that world um and and jimmy went to that exhibition he told tells me that off the back of that he then looked up the name of the guy who ran the workshop wrote to him and and with you know was offered a job off the back of that letter wow. um that, from that very same exhibition that, that kind of had a big impact on me as well sure. um yeah. and so he went from kind of working in factories to a to a building he ended up the ark for Raiders of the lost ark Wow, if I, if I remember rightly, yeah, um, as well as all the amazing kind of creature stuff he's done for for um, Neil Scanlon and things like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what What is it like uh, seeing we're, a Thal siren we're... being driven by a helicopter? Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> 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 um, we're pretty much going like. Please don't drop it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because because otherwise Fair. we're going home. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we we kind of, you know, you do feel a bit like the A team in moments like that, where you kind of recce out across these tops, and and you know, we're all, all kind of like, okay, we've got this kind of creature to do, and we're gonna do this creature and do this job right, yeah. And then, yeah, and then here's our time. big, here's our big rubber puppets coming. <laughs> yeah. You put on fingerless um, gloves for no reason. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, with my, with my puppetry gear. Yeah. yeah stuff. Team um, puppet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we, I mean, we do joke. Um, a bit about having you know you've got vfx for visual effects you've got um uh sfx for special effects that we are are becoming fx for puppetry effects um so, yeah, yes. so maybe maybe one day that will be a thing i'll rock the patch uh, for you guys yes. <laughs> um but yeah seeing it seeing it come fly in and get dropped down onto the cliff was was uh, was very exciting uh, and then you know kind of um, then get given hard hats and harnessed in and tied onto the rocks so we don't fall off and kill ourselves. And um, smart. Um, and the, the big move I remember from the Thalos Siren, you know, um, uh, quite apart from the story of Derek and Tom being uh, glued into. I've told you that. I'm they sure have, you. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so the story for me, for me, was um, uh, when we were actually shooting that scene, uh, and we've got daisies on the rocks, and there's a lovely shot where the Thalos Siren's head turns to look at her. Yes. It's her POV. Um, uh, that for me is on the other end of that um, 
other than that head on, holding onto that rod, I've got a little monitor in front of me that's showing me what, what the camera's seeing, mm-hmm. um, is me hurling myself against this harness <laughs> and hanging out <laughs> over the cliff edge so I can get the head to turn far enough around. I'll have to rotate this bar uh, uh, counterclockwise to make sure the head's not kind of not looking down at its toes while it turns around <laughs> um, to kind of keep that eye line correct. Um, um, and kind of teetering on the edge, hanging off this thing, feeling like an absolute kind of superstar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just like, what's the guy in the blue suit doing? But, right. um, but for me, but for me, it was a, it was a moment of awesomeness, and I, I will treasure that memory. That's incredible. Of, of throwing myself around and looking, looking up, and uh, uh, um, there's footage of that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Um, oh, that's but, um, but my my kind of connection to all that, I mean, seen, uh, those films. Um, I always remember. When we were on set doing the Thalassine, I realised that Ben Morris was there. Ooh. Ben Morris, the, who, who from uh, Industrial Light and Magic, yeah. who I had originally kind of encountered uh, uh, on Gravity, as who'd been kind of looking after us puppeteers and our little kind of puppetry uh, units as a visual effects supervisor back then. And you just kind of you start to realise, wow, every, you know, it's all the same people again and again and again. Who, who we, it's actually kind of a small industry yeah, oh, yeah. That, that we're in here. But these these kind of very talented people crop up and again and again. Absolutely. People like Ben and, 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 and the ILM team. Um, yeah. I've noticed that as well. Mm. It's a, like Neil's very, uh, it seems very loyal. You know, you guys oh, show up, is. you're the best of the best. That's why a lot of you have worked on all the movies. You know, it's, inc- yeah, it's I, incredible. And and like all good leaders, he inspires loyalty. You know, he's one of these people who, you know, he asks for the best of you. Right. Um, you know, and, and he, he, he won't, you know, and he'll be there. You'll be doing shots and on multiple films, I remember this. You'll be doing shots where, um, and, and you'll be hearing Neil's voice going, bigger, faster, come on. Okay, guys, well, that one was okay, but I really felt like, you know, he, he, he won't let you off the hook, man. He will not of let course. you off the hook, and I, and I love him for it because he, he's always asking for more. He's always pushing for more, um, you know, and he's in there himself, helping between takes. He's like getting getting the slime on the creature so that flesh really looks real and alive, you know. Oh, oh, every detail is important to him. He cares so much, and that that's infectious, and it's... Um, you know, and it reminds you why you love doing kind of kind of mad stuff. For um, sure, yeah. I remember uh, Derek was telling me when him and Tom were in the Lugga Beast, and mm-hmm. Neil would go in between takes and be like, "I want my seven seconds, boys. You got yeah. this." <laughs> that's it, man. That's it. I know that's exactly that with the Happy Ball man. He, I mean, I don't know, I can't remember exactly how many seconds he's on screen, but it's like we're going to earn them. We are yep. going to earn them. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to collapse. We're going to stay alive. It's it. amazing. So, what was the hardest thing you've puppeteered so far? Well, uh, ooh, well, I mean, that, physically challenging must have been the Happy Boy, just in terms of um, uh, it was so heavy, sure. it was so heavy, it was so hot that environment. I mean, in terms of in terms of like working on Warhorse the stage show, we performed that show over five hundred times wow. easily. Um, so, I mean, that was really like being an athlete, you know, sure, tra- training every day, looking after your body, stretching, um, um, because. Because you're on stage for you know up to two, uh, nearly two hours with um, one of the horse tracks, and so um, that that was that was an incredible experience. One of the reasons why I loved that show. Um, mm-hmm. But then most mo- recently, I think um, oh, and we can talk about this now because it's 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 come out finally. Uh, the most recent Jurassic World. Um, uh, were, again, Neil's team uh, worked on the dinosaur, or the practical practical and we had a wonderful. Uh, uh, puppeteered version of Blue the dinosaur when it's lying down on an operating table. I don't yes. want to give any spoilers because I know it hasn't been out for long, but Blue's on an operating table at one stage. And uh, we probably had at one stage up to 11 people on that puppet. Wow. And it wasn't ch- it wasn't changing because 
it was it was physically difficult. It was the technical challenge of that performance. Um, I, sure. I had blues head, blues head and and jaw mechanism um, that, that, was I, you? that I was working on, and then and then uh, guys like uh, Tom was involved in the breathing, like guys in the tail. Uh, um, we had such a wonderful, beautiful, nice good exciting committed team on that puppet uh we, had, uh we got to the point where some of our fabricators we ran out people our fabricators were going on on bulbs that puppet was incredible um there's an amazing featurette that they put out recently about the practical effects in that film oh, where, where they really go into it and it's fantastic it um is. but and they had bladders where where there was a jugular vein there was a bulb that would bring the jugular wow. vein up the, a, a kind of a breathing breathing pulse in the nose and in the temple it had a, a server animatronics in the eyes the uh, the snarl the nostrils and and then and three different people operated the kind of the breathing the claws had had a, a opening and closing mechanism but then a twist at the wrist and then a twist at the um, elbow as well you know it was such an articulate puppet it was um so the challenge of getting that together uh, all of us working together moving together keeping it alive responding in real time to the actors uh, you know because they were performing up there and we were watching we we're watching our performance on a monitor seeing what they're doing yeah um, and try trying to really get them to invest that that's a real dinosaur they're dealing with um so that we're not we're not providing a dance where we do the same thing every time. If they touch us, if they touch the neck, the neck responds. Or if they're expecting us to lash out a certain moment, we hold it that second longer to build up the tension and then surprise them <laughs> with the tail. And you know, so that we can we can really be interacting with them as another as another character that they perform against and and bounce off and and that can be giving them energy as well as just giving a performance for camera. Absolutely. Um, and then mm. wait, you said you did the jaw and the mouth. Yes. So, yeah. Did you snap at Neil Scanlon? Because <laughs> I saw a clip where um, Neil like um, went to go touch it, and then it snapped at him, and it was gold. Oh, yes, yes, he, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, uh, um, guilty. There are a few times where where you know I'm watching on a monitor, and, and Neil's talking to me on on a, on a comms link, uh, so I I can't see Neil, but I can see him saying, "Okay." Good, Robin. Yeah, and he's talking to people saying, "This is blue. This is blue." Yeah, put your hand there now, Robin. Robin, close the jaw. No, no, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 I guess their hand was in the mouth then. That's okay. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. That was the best parts mm. of that behind the scenes reel when Neil was like, mm-hmm. oh, and then it snaps. He goes, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there's that. I was like, hmm, <laughs> who did that? Robin. Yeah. yeah it brought, definitely brought out my, my mischievous side. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, that, that that was that was really exciting. Okay. Talk about the obviously when the dinosaur is getting up and running around. That's that's a harder thing for us to do but, yeah. but in terms of the the kind of cooperation between the visual effects departments who do the animations and our practical effects you know we were both they 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 really worked with us the visual effects department and obviously they were they're augmenting shots throughout the film whether there's a dinosaur in it or not but um but they were really wanting to keep as much of the practical effects in there as well and 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 they were real allies in that work we worked together and go, what's the best way to do this shot or that shot um, um mm-hmm. do we want you know would we build up a dinosaur hand close up so they don't have to animate it all we can have something real in there um and yeah and so all, all of that was um was a very was very successful in my opinion um uh, in that you really felt like they were very much more tangible creatures in this in the most recent jurassic world oh yeah well i mean that's why the original ones were so good and hold up so well you know absolutely real dinosaurs Absolutely. I still remember my friend sat next to me in cinema's teenager throwing his popcorn in the air when the raptor head 
shoot, uh, shoots out um, in the when they're trying to turn the electricity back on. Oh yeah, um, and that moment is 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 amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. And now you're a part of it. So well done. Oh, there we are. Well done. Oh, cool. But uh, can you believe oh. we've been talking for over an hour already? Uh, I, wow. Um, uh, yes. Oh, there we are. Yeah, I've got yeah. some phone. Thanks. Cool. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Oh, yes. Yeah, so well, I guess I should, I should let you get on with your with your work, right? Dude. Well, I hope uh, you've had you, a good yeah. time. Uh, it's been great. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Um, yes. I mean, I, I feel like I should have asked you more about your work. No, you I um, drive. <laughs> <laughs> that's my show. I find people who might be interesting and let them tell their story. I'm just good at oh. facilitating. You know, great. Oh well, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. I I, I listened to a few of the episodes. I listened to um um I listened to oh what was the animator's name now? Um, Hal Hickel. Hal, I'll listen to Hal's one next. Then. Yeah, that's exciting. Let me know what do you think? I uh, I appreciate anyone who takes any time to listen, and even more so to to talk with me for a bit. Like this was really cool. Oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, I'm a big podcast person myself. You know, whenever there's something I'm interested in, I'll find podcasts about it. I'll listen to them, and you know, it's it's a kind of it's a good form of self education when you haven't got much time. Absolutely. I hear you, but where can people find you online? Um, online, I've got a website, uh, uh, robingiver.co.uk. Uh, that's Robin G U I V E R co.uk i'm at, on twitter i'm at Robin guy but i'm depending on how busy i am i i'm not very active on twitter at the moment mm-hmm. um uh but yeah uh, my, my website's got informations and things like that yes my my facebook is just pictures of my kids so that's yeah, right. probably, probably <laughs> less, less relevant to people fair uh, fair cool. <laughs> well, anyway, this was great I, I, i'm so glad you had a good time and uh if you ever want to come back doors open man oh it's a pleasure lovely Sweet. thank you so much brian Absolutely. cheers man and Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Interesting Podcast. If you'd like to follow the show, it is at Pod of Interest on Twitter. If you'd like to follow me, I'm at Jedi Brian on all social media sites. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with and tell your friends. Let them know we got some cool stuff going on over here. Also, uh, I've finally broken down and made a Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash Jedi Brian. On that note, Special thanks to Chris, Ben, Jim, Daz, and Daryl. Your support means everything, and I cannot tell you guys how much I appreciate it. So until next time, be well.